Mr. Slogner, this is Mike, and I've just finished looking over your truck as an insurance adjuster, and I've turned all the paperwork in with the insurance company. You'll be hearing from them very soon, but I, I have two questions. Questions that really don't pertain to my job, but my curiosity. Sure, Mike, what's up? Well, first of all, the damage done to your truck, I've not seen this type of damage. Can you rehearse the timeline for me? Again, I've done my job, but I'm very interested in how did this accident happen? How were you hit? Well, Mike, I was on 26. I was in the middle lane. And a car, we, traffic was slowing for an accident up ahead. car behind me rear-ended me. They hit me with enough speed that they spun me over into both the middle and the far lane. As I was turning around like bumper cars, another vehicle sideswiped me, taking off my running board, damaging those two, two doors in my crew cab. And then that spun me back around so that the car that had rear-ended me at this point then front-ended me. He said, thanks. I, I was trying to piece this together. He says, because the brunt of the damage was in the rear end, and yet I noticed that you were hit on the side and then strangely hit in the front end. And he said, I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's also damage to the driver's side you were hit somewhere in the course of that bumper car accident on that side as well. I said, wow, wow, man, that's a lot of damage. He said, well, I've got another question. He said, how are you feeling? Well, it's my truck, man. I, I, I love that truck. No, 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 I don't mean that. I mean, it's a nice truck. How are you feeling physically? I thought that might be a little strange from an insurance adjuster just for my vehicle, but I said, I'm feeling fine. I got a you know, sore wrist, scratch on my hand. Uh, but I'm, for a 59-year-old guy, I feel pretty good. <laughs> he said, well, that's great. He said, you shouldn't have walked away. He said, I'm just amazed. I'm amazed. I said, well, you know, those trucks are are pretty strong, he says, yeah. He says, but the timeline that you gave me with that many bumps, he said, I'm just amazed. I'm just amazed that you were able to walk out of that truck without injury. And I said, yeah, God's good. Have a good Easter weekend. He said, God is good. He's risen. He's risen indeed. Mike, Funk. It's the first day of the week, and it's important that you know that. It's the first day of the week. It's not, as we celebrate often in our Western society, the last day of the week. The weekend's over. Tomorrow, back to the grind. No, this is the first day of the week. And from this day on, 
where the two Marys going into the garden or a graveyard, going into among the tombs to find an empty tomb, from this point on, the first day of the week will become Sunday, a day for all Christians to worship. The Sabbath worship on Saturday now decreases. It's the last day of the week. But the first day of the week, the beginning, the new beginning of my week, is forever marked by Easter Sunday, every Sunday, to celebrate a risen, living Jesus, Savior and Lord, with us. We celebrate the first day of our week here at Two Rivers. Every Sunday we celebrate His resurrection. We celebrate it with Him. And it starts our week. But can I rehearse the timeline? For you see, the, the time, the, it's been quite a week. A week earlier, Jesus on Sunday rode into Jerusalem. We celebrate that as Palm Sunday. The people pulling off the palms from the tree. Hosanna! Hosanna! The Messiah! The Christos! The Anointed One has come! It is Him! We, he's been among us as a healer and a teacher. But this day, we celebrate Him as the Messiah. Oh, shh, shh, be quiet, be quiet. I tell you the truth. If they didn't shout, the very stones would cry out, Hosanna, He has come in the name of the King because He is the King. Monday, He spends the night, Sunday night in, in Bethany. Monday, He's up early man with a mission, Jesus goes into the temple in Jerusalem. Cleans house. You have turned my father's house of worship to selling books and tapes and there's nothing wrong with that and coffee and there's nothing wrong with that. But you've put more of an emphasis on that than prayer. And particularly you do it and crowd out the space of those who are seeking me the most. He cleanses the temple. And then he leaves. Goes back to Bethany. Now Bethany is the home of Lazarus and his two sisters. In all of Scripture it, it seems that Bethany and their house was his favorite, his favorite Airbnb. You know, Jesus didn't own a home. He didn't, he didn't have a a home or property or titles or deeds. He just borrowed bed space. But they gladly received him. He was one of their family. Oh, they so loved him. Lazarus was an example of the power that Jesus had over life and death. He was resurrected Tuesday morning. Jesus leaves Bethany, goes back into Jerusalem. Somewhere en route, as he's approaching Jerusalem, he, he looks over the city and he starts to cry. He says, oh God, if you only knew, don't, 
Don't resist this invitation to know God and to come in into His kingdom. I'm the door. I'm the life. But he rides down into that city that he's weeping for. This time, teaching, he proclaims what has become known as the woes. Woe to you, Pharisees and teachers of the law, you false preachers. You preach it, but you don't live it. Woe to you, blind guides. You're leading people over a cliff. You're going there yourself. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He's leaving Jerusalem, going back to Bethany on Tuesday night. Judas makes a deal. Somewhere in that day on Tuesday, Judas meets with the Sanhedrin. And say, yeah, 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 30, 30 pieces, yeah, 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 yeah. You're, you're going to go ahead and pay me in advance? Okay, well, that's, that's cool, that's cool. Um, the time's got to be right. Oh, yeah, yeah, time's got to be right. But he makes the deal. He makes the deal to betray. Wednesday, the Scripture's quiet. There's nothing in the Gospel that tells us anything going on on Wednesday. We believe, therefore, nothing went on on Wednesday. He just hung out in Bethany. He rested. His disciples and others are beginning to prepare for the Passover celebration the next day. Thursday. It's the day that he will celebrate at sunset the Lord's Supper. He gathers his disciples. He says, man, I've been so excited. This day is finally here. I've been waiting for this day to eat this Passover with you. And as they ate, he said, this Passover is like none other. All the other Passovers we celebrated the night that the death angel passed over the firstborn children. It passed us over because of the blood of the lamb around the lintel and the, the doorpost. And we held this, and we celebrate this throughout all history and memorial that God has passed us over because of our faith placed in Him as our God and we as His people. They said this night is different because this doesn't simply point back to when God put His love upon us as His people, but it points to now and it points forward so that whenever you eat this, see me. See me in you. See you with me forever. They didn't put it together, but they were eating. There was no lamb at that Passover meal that we read of. Surely there must have been lamb, bitter herbs. They would have had those traditions. But it was the bread and the cup that Jesus pointed to. It must have crossed their mind later that the very lamb that would be sacrificed for them was the one that was their host. Thursday, Passover's over, I mean the supper is over, 
So he says, let's go to the garden. Let's get out of the busy Passover events and the, the supper here, and, and let's go to the garden. Let's go to the garden of Gethsemane. And there he, he prays that there he is betrayed. Judas comes leading in a, a, a rabble of guards and, and others. They seize him. And then I, I won't take the time to play it all out, but here the Scripture writes in great, great detail of where he goes to Ananias' home. First he's tried mockingly by the priest, and then they take him because they cannot sentence him to death, though that's what they're seeking. They take him to Pilate's. And then from Pilate's, Pilate's home, as it were, and his interview, he goes to Herod's. And then from there, he goes back to Pilate. And there, the Sanhedrin and Pilate meet. And there, at the urging of the Sanhedrin, Pilate pronounces a death sentence upon him, that he's going to be crucified. This is now Friday morning, very early. And he's taken... From that point, he's given 40 lashes. He's mocked. He's spit upon. He's shamed. And then they say, take up the cross beam, your cross, and go on what is famously known as the Via Della Rosa. Wind your way before public purview. All of the way. And he is, at this point, many commentators wonder how he was able to even stand much later, much less carry his cross. We read that there is one that is pulled out of the crowd to carry his cross because he is so weak. He arrives at Golgotha. They nail him, nail his wrist and his ankles to a cross. Along with two other criminals, we believe him to be in the center so that they're on the left and his right. There he is dying on the cross. He refuses the, the wine mixed with drugs, though he does later take a sour wine drink before he cries out, it is finished. But there he dies. Friday night... Friday night, because the Sabbath begins at sunset, the Jews, the Sanhedrin had said, we want you to break his legs because we don't want any criminal bodies. We don't want any bodies out there moaning and groaning into the Sabbath. So break all their legs. A guard goes to Jesus to break his legs. And he says, he's already expired. But just to be sure... Spear thrust to the side. Water and blood come out. He's dead. Fulfilling a prophecy that not one of his bones will be broken. They take him from the cross at the urging. At the urging of Nicodemus. They take him down. And they take him to a borrowed tomb. Very quickly because the Sabbath is now upon them. They've wrapped a few spices, but they've not properly prepared the body. It's not been washed. It's not been embalmed properly. That will need to be done as soon as the Sabbath is over. They put it in there. 
Now it's Sabbath. It's Saturday. Again, Scripture is quiet. We're up to Sunday morning. Very early we read here in the Scriptures, very early we read that these women come to see the tomb. Jesus is not in the tomb. Jesus, through this timeline, who should be dead, buried, not alive, is not there. And an angel tells them, he is not here, for he has risen, as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Let me tell you, before I end, I want to show you, I want to show you three photographs. Three photographs of anxious moments in this passage. Three photographs of fearful moments. The first, while fear is not mentioned, is in verse 1, is Mary Magdalene and Mary go to see the tomb. And in Mark 16, we read that as they were going to the tomb, they were anxious because they didn't know how they were going to get the stone rolled away. They were fearful. Matthew Henry says that the resurrection, the resurrection is the answer to all of his people's fears and nothing more need be greater than that. He suggests that these women did the right thing to take their fears and their anxieties, the problems, the issues that were looming large for them, the things that were on their mind like a, like a splinter in the brain. How are we going to get we want, to, we want to prepare the body and we, we so loved Him and He was our Savior and He was our Lord and we forgot that He said that He was going to rise again. We weren't really paying attention when He taught that lesson over and over and over again. But, but how are we going to get the stone? How are we going to, how, what are we going to do about that? And they're taking it to the site of the resurrection. The resurrection answered their fears. The angel did not roll the stone away to let Jesus out, by the way. The angel rolled the stone away to let us look in to see that it's empty. Where do you carry your fears? Where do you carry your anxiety? You need a great God who is the authority over all matters of life and death to meet you at the point of your fears or else through your unbelief or maybe even your own self-reliant pride, you're going to deal with your anxieties on your own strength and your anxieties are going to turn into a chronic worry. They were taking them to the right place a graveyard, a tomb. They were taking them there. That was, they were going en route. They didn't say, well, until we get this problem solved, we're not going to go 
to where He is. Now they were going in the right direction. And the resurrection of Jesus answered that anxiety. So that's photograph number one. Photograph number two, look at the guards. Now, Matthew chapter uh, 27, previous to this, this was not read, in verse 65 we read in Matthew 27, Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Or this is, the ESV has a footnote, and it means take a guard of my soldiers. Not your mall cop uh, temple guard. Take my select SWAT team guard. Take my hardened seasoned men to guard and make it as secure as you can. And then in verse 4 of Matthew 28, the angel, with the angel appearing before them, it says, for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Now, in looking at this this week, my first thought was, oh my goodness, so the angel descends from heaven, right? The angel descends from heaven, and there is the stone. So either the earthquake happened so that when the angel landed on earth, boom! That's why the earthquake happened. It announced heaven just showed up on the scene. An emissary, an ambassador, a representative of God on high just arrived on the scene. Better than a trumpet. Or the earthquake was what the angel did, earthquake, and the stone rolls away, falls over on its side. And then the angel sits down on the stone. What were they afraid of? Verse 4 says they were afraid of him. It wasn't an earthquake, even though I'm sure that helped. And it wasn't the stone rolling away, even though I'm sure that that helped. It says that they were afraid for fear of him. And I have noodled on this, and I don't, don't know, but I'll give the challenge to you. In verse 3 it said that this angel that he appeared, it says, his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. What does a person look like if you say, oh, Seth looked like lightning? What, is it, what does a person look like if you say, oh, she, was just, she just looked like lightning? Psalm 44 Verse 3 says, Not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their arm save them, but your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. Lightning. There was something about that face that communicated power, a 
authority, confidence, lightning strength. There was something about that face. We're told in Acts when when Stephen was being martyred that it looked like his face was the face of an angel. They had never seen an angel face before, so how did they know? It was different. It was strong. I just saw Jesus. And he's standing at the right hand of God. And they begin to stone him, but his face is like the face of an angel. Confident. Powerful. Frightening. I have to leave this snapshot, but it says that they trembled. And the word is seismos. It's the same word for the earthquake. So the earth shaked, and these men of the dust, they're shaking too. Not so strong now. Not so self-reliant now. Not in the face of this authority. I won't go to Psalm 2, but Psalm 2 is famous for where God laughs at the authority of men that try to, in their rage and in their plotting and their plans, put down His kingdom. That from the heavens He laughs for His will will be done, for He is the authority. I think of John 16, this last week. It would have been on a Friday of Holy Week, early in the morning when Jesus standing before Pilate. Pilate's like, listen, you've been quiet this whole time. Don't you get it? I've got authority. I'm the big man around here. I can put you to death. I can let you go. And Jesus, I believe, with a lightning face, looked at him and said, you have no authority over me except it be granted to you from him who is in heaven. We're made up in our world of two people, two types of people. Those who their face we, as Christians, our face can be made radiant and lightning when we see God as the authority and the rightful King and Lord of our life are those that will tremble, tremble when they face life in their own authority and in their own strength in these fearful moments. Last snapshot, it says in verse 8, that they quickly departed from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to his disciples. Now this fear is different. This is not the fear of a problem in my life. The stone. How am I going to get this out of the way? It's not a fear of even being commissioned to tell the disciples. The disciples might laugh at us. It's not a fear of the angel. He's already put their fears and he says, don't be afraid in verse 5. It's certainly not a 
fear of these guards over here trembling. This fear is a fear that they now are understanding that the body's not been stolen or whisked away. The tomb is certainly empty. This fear is, oh my goodness, he's who he said he was. This is a fear that comes with the awe when we grasp that our Lord is among us now and he's alive. This is a fear of respect that draws out adoration and worship of one who is back from the dead and who has conquered sin and death on our behalf. It's that type of fear. Who are we dealing with here? We thought we had a, we thought this guy was a firecracker. Now it's a nuclear weapon. I mean, this guy's, this guy's God. He's not just rabbi, he's God. And at the same time, great joy. Philippians tells us that as Christians today, our salvation, like a map, is continuing to unfold. There are parts of us that are continuing to come into newness of life as we become the true image bearers of his sons and his daughters. And it says that as that's happening, we're working it out with fear and trembling. That fear is not a fear that is cowering before God, but looking at Him in awe and wonder. And it's drawing out our worship so that all of our obedience proceeds out of the Gospel. That He is alive. That He is our Lord. He's Lord of the universe. And He is ours. And we are his. Fear and trembling in that snapshot. But I think in that snapshot, I've got to put Jesus. It's not just Mary leaving, turning away from the tomb, because unbeknownst to them, as unbeknownst to many of us, Christ is present. No more than they turn away for this task to go and say, He's risen, He's risen indeed, then Christ is right there present with them. And what does He say? He speaks to any fear that they have, saying, Do not be afraid, but go tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. The gospel in this narrative this morning is in that one word, brothers. He didn't say, and in, in the, the Greek, by the way, ladies, please don't be offended by this, English. But in the Greek, it always means go tell my family. It means my sisters and my brothers. Not just males. Not just the eleven. But the gospel is this. That those that betrayed Jesus, those that were not found like these faithful women in the graveyard that morning, they were back cowering and hiding with their own fears, he says, go relieve their fears. Go call them and tell them that I don't see them as traitors, rebels, ingrates, selfish sinners. I see them as 
sons, daughters, brothers, sisters. That's what the resurrection testifies to with a big exclamation mark. If he came back from the dead, it means that the grave could not hang on to an innocent man. But it means that he died to die the death of the guilty. And if God accepts that, then he comes back to life. And how does he come back? Does he come back different? No. Of course he's got a glorified body, but he comes back the same Jesus, walking, talking, loving his disciples as brothers and sisters with God as our Father. So when we celebrate this table now, we're celebrating that we come to this many, many times we celebrate His death. But as we're coming here, be mindful that like those women were wrong to first make their approach thinking that they would simply find a dead body encased in a tomb, we're like those women. We can bring any anxiety over the Lord living and this bread and this cup testifies that He's alive. This testifies that He is with us and we raise the glass to a living Lord and not a fallen hero. We also recognize that we can bring all things to Him for He is the authority now. Not only is he our Savior, but he's our rightful Lord and he's the King. And we will worship him fearfully and joyfully. For he is our God and his name is Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I ask this morning that you would meet us at the point of our anxiety with the resurrection. For that is enough. That you would come to our worry, our fear. You would come to those things that would even seek to paralyze us with fear. that you would come to us alive as our risen Lord. That we would be drawn out because of your resurrection to pray. For we pray to one who hears. We would be drawn to sit in those anxious moments, mindful that we're not sitting alone, but you're present. Whether we can see you or not, you are present with us. And we would also be mindful, Father, in our anxiety that you're the boss. You're the authority. There is nothing that has come into our life except by your permission and through your limitations and for your purposes. Give us calm as we trust your authority and that we not fear men, that we not quake at other authorities. So, Father, 
We thank you this morning. We celebrate and raise our glass to our risen Lord, even as he serves us from this table and we dine with him. In Christ's name, amen.